Amen. Thank you so much, ladies, for that special number reminding us that it is the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the whole world. Aren't you so glad tonight? Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Let's take our Bibles and turn in the Old Testament tonight to the book of Exodus. The book of Exodus and chapter 33. Exodus chapter 33. And I'm going to read a few verses and then pray. And we'll share what God has laid on our heart tonight. Exodus chapter 33, and beginning at verse number 1. And the Lord said unto Moses, Depart and go up hence, thou and the people which thou hast brought up out of the land of Egypt, unto the land which I swear unto Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, saying, 
unto thy seed will I give it. And I will send an angel before thee, and I will drive out the Canaanite, the Amorite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, the Jebusite, unto a land flowing with milk and honey. For I will not go up in the midst of thee, for thou art a stiff-necked people, lest I consume thee in the way. Father, fill me now with the Holy Spirit. Help us, Lord, tonight to see precisely what you'd have us to see in the Scriptures, and we'll thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. We're reading, of course, about Moses. He's leading the Israelites in the wilderness. It's a journey. It's a journey. Everywhere we read in Scripture, we should see our Savior. And He is there in symbol and in type. He's there in prophecy. Jesus Christ is real to me. And He's real in the Scriptures tonight. I want you to understand that this is not just a, a, a historical account of some folks that kind of got lost out there in the wilderness and kind of lost their way and had a rough time of it. And isn't it a pity? But rather, I want us to see in the mirror of God's Word exactly who we are spiritually and where we stand in relationship to the one who is watching over us and taking care of us, but much more, much more than that. If I were to ask you, what do we need more than anything? After thought, you might answer the way one man answered me a long time ago. He said, well, I tell you, I think I'd be just about as happy as I can be if I had three square meals and a roof over my head. And uh, I thought at first, why, what a humble and simple answer from this man. And then I thought, how tragic that people would settle for those things. Because you see, as humble as he was in saying, three square meals and a roof over my head, that's exactly what Jack Allen has in prison every single day. Three square meals and a roof over his head, bars on his, on his door and can't go anywhere and doesn't have to worry about that. But that's not all that one should desire. What would you be happy with more than anything? Maybe somebody here might say, well, let me, let me expand on that a little bit. I'd like to have, of course, obviously, enough food, food that I like. I'd like protection. I, I, would, like, I would like to enjoy the good life, the good life. And someone might pause and say, well, okay, now they're speaking honestly. This is a transparent person. And sure, they'd like to make a few dollars more than what they make now. They'd like to live a little better than they're living now. They'd like to have a few more things because that's just honest. That's human nature. And then after thought, we have to conclude how tragic that is. Food, good food, the kind of food you like, protection, provision, good things, the good life. Is that it? Is that what we should desire? Jesus Christ, when teaching, said, don't labor for those things because that's what the Gentiles seek after. That's what the Gentiles 
seek after. Now the word for seek there has to do with a desperation. It has to do with a strong, aggressive motivation. That's what they live for. Making more, getting more, accumulating more, having more. But is that what we should desire? I'm going to answer tonight from the scripture what our response should be. Moses, in leading the Israelites through the wilderness, came to the mountain of God. Went up into the mountain of God and you know what happened. He was given the tables that contained the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue written with the finger of God. And he came down off the mountain. But in the interim, the people who had not been left totally without leadership, for Aaron was still there. And the elders of Israel were still there. But they determined that since Moses, representing godly leadership, had, had left them, we don't know what's become of this Moses, they decided to construct their own new, carnal, worldly, demonic value system in 40 days' time. They had overthrown everything that represented the God who had brought them up out of Egypt. Now I want you to think, when you're on a journey, something about the road, it stretches two ways. Have you noticed that? Maybe you never look back, but it is good to look back in order to gain perspective. And if they were to look back on their journey, which parallels our journey as well, they had come out of hundreds of years of bondage in Egypt, being treated second class, being mistreated and abused and killed at the pleasure of another people. And they came out on the night of the Passover. They came out by the blood. You know, they killed the lamb that they'd taken from the flock on the 10th day of the first month. And on the 14th day, they killed it. And they took the blood and they painted over the doorpost and the lintel like this. So that the death angel would pass over and see that there was an external testimony of those on the inside who had believed what God said. They'd taken God at His word. That's where you and I came from. Our journey really began. As Brother Briones said tonight, it didn't really start until he received Christ as his Savior. That's when life begins. It begins with Christ. Think back to when you were saved. You started with a Passover experience. They came out. They traveled down the coast. They crossed the waters by a miracle when they were per pursued by the Egyptian army. The Egyptian army attempted to cross and they were drowned in the waters. Think of the miracle of that. Think of the song that was sung, the song of Moses, the song of victory in Exodus chapter 15. They were drowned in the waters because God provided deliverance. On the other side, they immediately began to murmur and complain and grumble and, uh, and uh, rebel and they became stiff-necked, stiff-necked. That's a malady, a spiritual malady we need to be careful about. They're out there in the wilderness, and while Moses is up on the mountain in the presence of God, and he's getting the Ten Commandments, they're down there just committing all kinds of foolishness, all kinds of sin, the idolatry, the immorality, 
And God warned. And in chapter 32, the chapter that precedes this, God judged sin. Moses intercedes. He says, don't kill them. And God agrees not to kill them all. But in this, we see something very, very important. God says in Exodus 33, here's what I'm going to do. He didn't call them my people. Notice he calls them the people. You don't want to get to the point where you push God and He calls you the people instead of my people. He said, I'm going to send you and you're going you're to have what you need. You're going to have provisions. That's what people want. Three square meals, roof over their head. I'm going to give you what you want. And I'm going to give you protection. I'm going to send an angel, not my angel. Ah, there's a, there's a lot in this. I'm going to send an angel. But then he says, but I'm not going with you. I'm not going with you. Why? Why, Lord? Why aren't you going with us? Because you're a stiff-necked people. Because you're a stiff-necked people and I may consume you in the way. We can't trifle with a holy God. And yet they had done just that. Moses had interceded and Moses succeeded in that God decided not to kill them. But there's something in the New Testament I want you to see that brings out the truth of what was missing in this conversation. Go to John's Gospel and hear Jesus talking about leaving them. John chapter 14. John chapter 14, and please notice in verse 21. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will... Here it is. Manifest myself to him. That's it. That's the bottom line. What do we need more than provision? What do we need more than protection? We need the intimate presence of God in our life. They weren't going to get it. But Moses pleaded with them. Moses begged God. It has been said that if God says, I'm going to give you three square meals and a roof over your head, don't settle for that. And tonight's message is entitled just that. If you are so shallow as to think that that's enough to make your life complete, to have the material things of life, you may call them blessings, you may call them benefits, whatever you call them, if you think that's enough, I am telling you tonight, don't settle for that. Don't settle for anything less than the intimate presence of God. The Apostle Paul, three decades after he came to know the Lord Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus, in Philippians chapter 3, 
said that I may know Him. And the knowing that he is talking about in Philippians chapter 3 is not the knowing of coming to know him as Savior initially. But it is the day-by-day close walk and relationship with the one who has loved us and given everything for us that we might be with him and a desire for us to reciprocate and to be close to him as he is to us. That's it. If tonight you don't desire to be closer to God than you were yesterday, the day before, the day before that, then there is something wrong with the journey. There is something wrong with your mindset. There is something wrong with your values. They had replaced the values that God wanted them to have and to live with a new set of values that was based upon, well, just pulling out of context. That model prayer, people call it the Lord's Prayer, but it's the model prayer. You know the part that most people, when polled, remember? Give us this day our daily bread. That's what people remember more than anything. Give us this day our daily bread. If you give them a loaf of bread, if you give them stuff, if you give them things, unfortunately, many people will be satisfied. They're not wanting to be God's people. They're satisfied to be the people. They don't want the angel of the Lord. They just want an angel to go with them. They don't, listen, they don't care about the presence of God. They want the blessing without the blesser. Don't settle for the good life, so-called good life, without God. Don't settle for the things that God provides without the one who provides them. I'm glad for the response that I see back there of the people in Exodus in chapter 33. Why, in verse number 4, the people respond. Verse number 4, chapter 33, And when the people heard these evil tidings, they mourned, and no man did put on him his ornaments. The reason they didn't put on their ornaments is because they realized, guess what, it's not party time yet. For those who have been given the benefits but they don't have the presence of the one who is the giver of those benefits. It's not time to party yet. They were missing the best thing. They wanted and needed something far more at this point. The manifest presence of God. So Moses goes to God. And finally, as we move on down into that 33rd chapter, He says, I'm going to go with you. I'm going to go with you. In those days, they had not yet reared up the tabernacle. So the tent where Moses would go to meet with God and have his meetings with him. Now, keep in mind, God is a spirit, so he didn't see a physical body. Perhaps nothing more than the Shekinah glory and the voice of God. But he would go to a tent. This tent 
was not like the tabernacle. Eventually, the tabernacle, which was a tent, a glorified tent, was in the middle of the people. And whenever they moved, they would move it. It would be in the middle of where the people would camp. But the tent where Moses went at first to meet with God was out on the edge, out on the fringe of the camp. What a lesson. Sometimes you got to get away from all of the humdrum noise and the din and get alone with God. And he got alone with God and finally, in their conversation, as you read this 33rd chapter, you find that God says, all right, I'll go with you. I'll go with you. And you say, there it is. There it is. Not just three square meals and a roof over your head, but the manifest presence of the Lord. Isn't that enough? But Moses doesn't stop there. Look at verse 18. Moses goes further. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said this is the greatest prayer in the Bible. And it's only one, two, three, four, let's see, five, six, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven words long. Verse 18, and he, Moses said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. Show me thy glory. Those words may have never passed your lips, but they ought to be our petition. Lord, show me your glory. Show me your glory. There it is. They didn't have the right viewpoint. They wanted three square meals. They would have settled for a roof over their head. Moses said, no, we're not going, Lord, unless you go. And the Lord said, okay, I'll go. And then Moses said, uh, one more thing, Lord, show me thy glory. I don't want to live the rest of my days, whatever they may be on this earth, whether they are a decade, two, or three, which is possible with the longevity in my family. I don't know how many days I'm going to live, whether it's one more minute or 30 more years. But let me tell you right now, whether it's one minute or 30 more years, for a child of God who's right with God, who desires the manifest presence of God, you don't want to stop there. You want Him to show you His glory. You want God to work in and through and in spite of us, so that those whose paths we cross will never, ever be the same again. Have you ever met somebody? Have you ever had anything to do with somebody who truly manifested the presence and the power of Almighty God? Have you had anything to do with somebody meeting that description? And if you know what I'm talking about, then you understand that is a life that makes such a difference that when that person is gone, it's almost God hasn't left, but it's almost like God has left. Feels that way. That person was so full of the Lord. 
That person was so full of God's purposes. That person was so full of God's uh, integrity and God's goodness and manifested and channeled it so that people around him or her could sense the presence of God that when that person exits this planet and goes to be with the Lord, it's almost like the Lord, at least in that place, has left. I've known people like that. I've known ministries that the critics stand back and they say, see, pastor so-and-so died and the church died. Well, shame on the church. Shame on the people that didn't catch or get what he had so that after he's gone, the ministry goes on. It's not that preacher's fault. Shame on the church. Shame on the Christians. Shame on the family. Shame on the parents. Shame on the teenagers. You know what was going on? When that pastor or that leader or that teacher or that godly man or that go godly woman in that church, when they were with the Lord, they were enjoying the presence of God. Do you know that's what it's all about? Enjoying His presence. And as they enjoyed God's presence, the Lord rewarded that individual with a manifestation of godliness in their life so that they touched the lives of others. And somebody else should have figured that out and said, you know what? I want to be like Brother Jones. I want to be like Sister Smith. Brother Jones is a sinner saved by grace. Sister Smith is a sinner saved by grace. But look what God can do in the life when the sinner saved by grace gets out of the way and the manifest presence of God just shines right on through and out every pore and touches every person that they have anything to do with. What I'm saying to you tonight is don't settle for three square meals and a roof over your head. You insist on the manifest presence of God in your life and you insist, you insist that God do something, a work of grace in your life so that you might experience His glory and others might be touched and others might be moved so that they likewise want to manifest the presence of God, have a godly life, have a godly influence. I'll tell you what will keep you from it. The same thing that those people had down at the bottom of the mountain for 40 days. Moses is up there in the presence of God Himself getting the Ten Commandments. They're down here playing. They're sinning, fooling around. Number one, they waited right on in. They did not even, I mean, the sin of impatience. Impatience. Why do you think the Bible says wait on the Lord? Because God's got a plan. He also has a time frame. God has a program that involves a time frame. Wait on the Lord. Wait for God to move. We move too often and God's not moving yet. Wait on the Lord. They were impatient. They should have just meditated, thought on God. They should have at least gone about their daily routine. They were impatient, we see in chapter 32. Number two, 
They were very quick to overthrow godly leadership. Do you know that God has invested not just the time that we have observed godly leaders, but every godly leader that trained every godly leader that trained every other godly leader that trained every other godly leader for three or four generations. When a man or a woman of God is serving God, they represent three or four generations. They're standing on the shoulders of those who have come before them. And when we fail to follow godly leadership and the godly admonition that's given to us, we are not just disobeying one generation, but everyone who trained that one that trained that one that trained that one. It is a slap in the face of God. His power to bless generation after generation after generation. I read about the principle of to the third and the fourth generation. In the Pentateuch, we read about that. God blessed to the third and the fourth generation because somebody back there decided to be the first generation that God was going to use. And you know, about a hundred years ago, there were men and women of God who were not so shallow as we are, who are not so impatient as we are, who are, who are not so self-absorbed as we are, who didn't care about the things, the things that you think long and hard about, make lists about, and you worry about, and you fret about, and you talk about endlessly are things that godly people four generations ago didn't even pass through their mind. Didn't even think about those things. And yet they lived, trained the next generation, died, went home to be with God, and are blessed. And so are the ones that came after them and the ones that came after them. And then there's us. The question I've got to ask is, are we willing to embody the same kind of submission and dedication that those who a hundred years ago made all this possible today? I'm talking about the quality of godliness. I'm talking about the depth of dedication. I'm talking about real heart Felt, I'm talking about genuine 24 karat gold godliness. Moses said, three square meals, that's not enough. How many times uh, we say, oh, God has blessed us with three square meals and a roof over our head. And as true as that may be, we stop right there. Moses said, I'm not going unless you, unless you go. God said, okay, I'll go. And then Moses had that, that moral fiber that courage to say, wait a minute, Lord, one more thing. I beseech thee, show me thy glory. We know I will make all my goodness pass before thee. I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. There is so much theology in that, men, ladies. I don't have time tonight to preach it. But I know the convicting power of the Holy Spirit is ripping and tearing at our insides right now. God said, I'm going to make my goodness pass before you. I'm going to proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I'm going to be gracious to whom I'll be gracious. I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. He says, you can't see my face. For no one can see me and live. So the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me, and thou shalt stand upon a rock. And it shall come to pass while my glory passeth by, that I will put thee in a cliff of the rock and will cover thee with my hand while I pass by and I will take away mine hand and thou shalt see my back parts but my face 
shall not be seen. One writer has said this, and I love it. Said, the mercy of God was protecting Moses from the wrath of God. The mercy of God was protecting Moses from the wrath of God. You say, well, that, that's confusing. I don't expect to understand it. I don't think you understand it either. What caused those people at the base of the mountain to fail and to settle for less was their sin, their impatience, their failure to follow godly leadership, thinking that it's not essential that we follow the one that God has set up. It's not essential to follow this Moses. We'll set up our own people. We'll do it ourselves. The plan that God has, the organization and the order that He has for His work to be done is very particular and very specific. And then, the worst of all, they said, we'll just raise up this God, for here's the God that brought us out of Egypt, the calf, the natural enemy of the bull, which Osiris was the, the God of the Egyptians. And so it makes logical sense, but it is idolatry. They weren't worshiping the true God because they never got intimate with the true God. They never got to the point where they desired His manifest presence. They certainly were nowhere near where Moses was when he said, Show me thy glory. And tonight, that's what we should desire. We should desire that. Rather than the momentary, the temporal, the, the quick and easy, the just add water and we, we've got instant spirituality, we should desire much, much more. More than three square meals, more than a roof over our head, even more than the manifest presence of the Lord in spiritual intimacy, we should desire that He would show us His glory. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Please, nobody looking. And how many tonight would say, Preacher, the Spirit of God is speaking to my heart. Slip your hand up high so I can see it right now. God is speaking to my heart. Amen. Amen. If you desire what Moses was praying, then I want to urge you when the invitation is given to step out and come to the front and have a word of prayer and then go back to your seat and ask God to work a work of grace in and through you. I'm going to ask you tonight, whatever your need might be, that you come down, seek the Lord, let the Lord minister in your heart, let God fix, heal, repair, whatever needs to be done, let Him speak to you. And let's tonight begin with God, to go the right direction and not be settling for less than what would honor and glorify Him. If you're here without Christ, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Would you call upon Him right now? Pray from your heart. Dear God, just something like this. Dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I deserve to pay for my sins. I believe Jesus died to save me. And right now, I receive the Lord Jesus Christ into my heart as my personal Savior. Please take away my sins and take me to heaven when I die.